It's no secret the NFL has a problem with race. Think Colin Kaepernick. Think Brian Flores. But this isn't a new problem. It's one that started as far back as the 1930s, with a ban on Black players in the NFL, with a past that informs the present. Blackballed is a new miniseries podcast from The Ringer about the four men who broke the color barrier in football. I'm your host, Chelsea Stark-Jones. You can find Blackballed on The Ringer NFL feed. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to Homework, the show. I am a bald man talking about NATO and joining me on the other line. He's a plant that grows on rocks and lives on insects that die inside of him. It's Andy Greenwald. Is it bad that I felt personally seen slash triggered by this episode of Succession? I felt oh like my God. I, I felt like Jesse was describing my favorite television. Like, <laughs> Inside I baseball? Like, I felt like he was going after me a little bit. I like I like homework, the show. Oh my God. Greenwald, we're so happy to be together. I'm speaking for you. Uh, we're joined by Kaya. We're recording this on a Sunday. So uh, just pumped and jacked to be talking about Succession, season four, episode two. The episode is called Rehearsal. It's great to see your face, albeit on Zoom. This couldn't be better. This couldn't be better for me because, you know, Chris, like all great shows, this podcast teaches you how to watch it or listen to it. <laughs> uh huh. You know, so I feel like we're gonna we're gonna do a lot of learning together today. Well, you want to just do broad strokes and say, uh, you know, I felt like in retrospect, this episode wound up mm -hmm. being maybe more usefully viewed in conjunction with the first episode as one big episode. I'm sure uh, everybody involved with Succession would disagree with me, but I think it's helpful mm. since the action essentially picks up the next day. You know, we ended the first episode with Logan at night watching his, his ATN news broadcast and with Shiv and Tom having that really tender moment. But the action pretty much picks up almost immediately in the second episode with um, the Roy kids back in upstate New York. I or... believe they're in Albany, scenic Albany. Why? I mean, I know I they don't... made a joke about walking to from Albany, but I, th I thought yeah. maybe it was like a Catskill situation. It must be. Maybe they were, Albany was the nearest uh, regional hub for them to have their PJ or helicopter. <laughs> I, I Again, when you get into the weeds with the show, they're very expensive weeds and I can't quite uh, decipher them. But yes, they're, I, they're in New York State. Yeah, and I thought this was an interesting episode in so much as it's an inversion of what usually happens in succession where there is an event, it's Connor's rehearsal dinner, mm -hmm. but that is only attended for about five seconds. The majority of the episode is these continue to be these little chamber pieces of the kids kind of huddled together in different interiors and Logan kind of ranging around and trying to decide who he is in a post, although not quite post Gojo world of the sale of Waystar to, to Gojo. So why don't you just give me your initial reaction to the episode? Well, I think that it, I feel like it, this has happened before in previous seasons of succession where in the early going, I am so impressed by the artful way with which Jesse and his writers undo things, rearrange the board, so to speak. I mean, this is the work of television shows, and it's the kind of 
work that they do so well that does sometimes give you the sense that they could be doing this for 10 years, where every year could end with some, oh my God, oh, yeah. he's really going to do it this time. And then they re- then they just reset everything. Because we are being manipulated in the way the characters are being manipulated. We're walking back from the ledge of the previous season, but you don't really mind, right? Like all of a sudden the kids are doing this and they've changed their mind and now they're going to scuttle the deal and the Gojo deal isn't a done deal anyway. And we have to get them back in proximity to each other. But the artful way with which it's done it's almost a pleasure to watch because of course it's going to happen, right? So I thought that was interesting just in terms of a structure and resettling kind of thing. But my main takeaway from the episode was emotional. You know, I I feel like, again, this is something we've said in seasons past, but I I like to reach for farming analogies because it's really a place that I feel comfortable. It's something I know a lot about, you know, uh, in my free time. And I feel like they keep tilling the same soil and yet somehow finding new roots the deeper they go. Uh-huh. And I thought that the emotional stuff that was unearthed this episode was kind of unsettling. You know, I, I think that the show is so brilliant at constantly, they there's darts, there's daggers, there's barbs. But f- for the first time in a while, I really thought that they drew blood this time. And there were moments not just involving the family. There's the moment when uh, Hugo and Jerry are laughing over the carry tape and, you know, Logan sort of humiliates them and forces them into seeing what they were watching. There was the things that the kids say to their father in that karaoke chamber, which is something I never thought I would say about this program, and I'm sure we're (laughs) going to get to it. There's obviously the speech you're alluding to that uh, that Connor delivers, where it, it almost made you uneasy. It was a little queasy making to me the how 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 much blood was actually being drawn. Like these are things they've said before, these are situations we've been in before, but it didn't feel so good and fun anymore. Like we've maybe we're getting close to bone in a way that we hadn't. Um you know, so yeah. in my first viewing of some of the episode, I was like, Oh, I, I I'm not sure where to stand here. I feel a little bit like seasick almost watching it. I re-ran through some of it and it and it kind of evened itself out a little bit. But I thought that was interesting because as we approach the end game, there's obviously we're going to get closer and closer to the heart of things. You know, I think that I've always thought of this show as about a father and his children and like the idea of what an inheritance is and the Mm -hmm. idea of like, what did they inherit from him in terms of characteristics or uh, I lose this term, use this term loosely, but ethics. And then also about what did they inherit from him in a very practical financial and, and business sense. And, you know, largely this show has been about this father figure abusing his children in various ways. Yeah. And then this episode, as it ended, I was like, is this show about these children fucking one another over? <laughs> like, because repeatedly over the course of the series, but especially in the last two seasons, I think that we've been given example after example after example mm-hmm. of thinking, okay, this like ragtag group of misfit toys has decided to pull together and recreate their family and recreate their legacy and recreate their inheritance for whatever reasons, you know, not always like obviously good ones, but they do want to make something new in the world or make something for themselves. And mm-hmm. I think I'm completely, make their own pile. So to speak. I'm dissuaded from that notion now because they can't concentrate on a single thing for more than 24 hours as these last two episodes have showed us. Yeah, I I think that's a great observation because the other thing I was going to say is that this was a very Logan sympathetic episode in a surprising way, right? I think first of all, maybe we'll get into the stuff later, but like Brian Cox is a titan. Mm-hmm. The show doesn't simply doesn't work without him and his his rage and fury and charisma, and this episode did a pretty remarkable job, kind of proving his point that f- for all of his major flaws. And certainly, you know, still not winning parent of the month. He's got his wits about him. Mm-hmm. His instincts about business and about reading the rooms and the various rooms that he's in appear to be correct and intact, right? I mean, we could, the, the, the rug could get pulled out of him again, but broadly, he does seem to be right. And his most devastating line of the episode to his children, I love you, but you're not serious people, yeah. is borne out by the text, right? Yes. Um, now, is it his fault that they behave this way, that they can't quit him, that everyone grovels and and wheedles and collapses and, you know, turns on each other in his presence? Yes, broadly, yes. But he is who he is. I mean, there is that idea, this constant through the series, he hasn't changed, right? And the kids certainly haven't changed either, despite many, many opportunities to get out. And bring it all the way back to your point, 
Yeah, how long did the Pierce Stallions last? How long? I mean, they had to see one well, bald it, professor talking about was NATO. A se- was a several month plan that went up in smoke in one phone call. The Pierce Stallions lasted for all of twenty four hours until Shiv decides to call Sandy. And I think this is an extension of some of the stuff that happened in um, this third season. It was the fifth episode, the mm-hmm. retired janitors of I- Idaho one, where essentially Shiv seems to be negotiating for a board seat for herself or an extra board seat or something yeah. in those lines. And by doing that, she'll like, you know, it's it's essentially giving Sandy Furness and Stewie more power, herself more power, but also like stopping the acquisition of Waystar. And then as soon as Shiv's off the phone and not telling the rest of her family about what's going on, Logan gets a phone call in New York from Lucas Matson, which is rather odd because he essentially, whether you say that this is part of, or sorry, Kendall, whether this Kendall is does, yeah. Kendall's self-sabotage streak or or whatever you think it is, he essentially gets off the phone with Matson and does the exact opposite of what Matson just told him to do. Matson says, don't you, don't fuck this deal because I will walk. And Kendall immediately walks into the bar and is like, we should hit the brakes on this deal and try to get more money out of him. Well, you know, I've never been in high leverage negotiations at any point in my life, but I do read The Athletic regularly. So I understand (laughs) the mindset of like the draft war room, you know what I mean, and the GM mindset. And my assumption here was that Kendall was like, if he's FaceTiming me, God knows what hour it is in Stockholm. It's because he's nervous. He's nervous. And so there's blood in the water. So I will look at the things that Stewie said. I think- it's evidence that the kids, they see a shiny thing in front of them and they react to it. They have no long-term plan sense. They have no, like, they're not looking at the whole board, right? They're not, and they certainly lack whatever their father claims to have in spades, which is just in his gut. He knows how to read this and he knows what the deal is and the shape of it and the parameters and when to go. But I think the other more interesting psychological argument is they're all just desperate for distraction. They just cannot stop moving. They cannot sit with anything because if they have, if they cash out, with billions, then really all they have left is the hundreds. Right. I mean that literally and metaphorically, right? Like they're the, the great game is over and all they have left is themselves. And what what you're seeing again and again this season is these three kids cannot be alone with themselves, particularly noticing it with Shiv in a way we hadn't before, right? Who seems just absolutely, she's unhinged. She's to a really degree we have not seen her. Yeah, and, and for good reason. And I think that the final sort of betrayal, quote unquote, although in some ways I think he was left with no real other options is Roman going back to his father. You know, I was, I was kind of thinking about this show in terms of its two major kind of missions, which is one is satire and one is this sort of family drama. And you watch, you know, these kids who I think all the viewers, all the audience has like different emotional relationships to various characters on this show, but specifically the three main kids. And it's hard to view them satirically sometimes. You know, I, mm-hmm. I often like think a good example of this would be say the, the big short, right? All the bankers who aren't working for Steve Carell are complete car- caricatures. They're cartoons. Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're there to be lampooned. They're there, there to be laughed at. They're there to be disgusted by. But Steve Carell and ironically, Jeremy Strong and Hamish Linklater and it, like they're normal guys mm-hmm. who found this disease at the heart of the American economy and we're not supposed to laugh at them. They're not funny. They're not, they're, they're white knights, even though they they're tell right. you they're not. Right. Mm-hmm. Succession shoots the kids like they're the white knights or like they're the normal people at the center of this. But I think that they're actually being lampooned constantly. Logan's uh, You're Not Serious People is like the total indictment of these characters that for four seasons now or for by the end of this, it'll be 40 episodes of television, more or less, where they haven't really achieved anything. <laughs> they mm-hmm. haven't done anything. They blew up a mm-hmm. satellite. Uh, they've they've destroyed, you know, however much like generational wealth with their behavior, whatever you want to say about it. But I was really struck by it because the funniest, one of the funniest things I've ever seen on Succession is those guys watching Pierce that morning after they've basically bought it and like immediately losing interest in the project. Yeah. And nobody can sit still and nobody wants to do anything that has to... And because there is a... The 10-season version of Succession is an entire two seasons of them reprogramming the MSNBC that Pierce owns. <laughs> Turning turn it into full clockwork orange at night? Yeah, and it's like... I don't know. It's like... The, I, the, I, not, it's not that I want that show, but I was really struck by what's the target of the satire. And for it's really becoming apparent to me that it's the kids, at least for me. Yeah, well, they have... Because they literally have nothing. I mean, I think I think that ties into my observation about Logan in this episode too, right? Which is that for, again, 
a flawed character. I think we could all agree a flawed fictional human being, but absolute bedrock firm into who he is and how he fits into the world, right? Like, and how he moves through it and what rooms do to him and what he does in rooms. The kids are, are absolutely absurd when they're, when they are uh, siloed together, the way they speak to each other, the way they interact with the world, the way they dress, which obviously gets outsized attention elsewhere on the internet as it should. But I was noticing it again this week with just, you know, uh, the, the Buddhist and Tom Ford, but also just like what Shiv wears on a Tuesday you put that in to planet Earth, like when they go to the dive bar, and you're like, this this is absurd. This is completely absurd. They are not serious people engaged in the planet that we're engaged with, and it just simply wouldn't work. If they don't have each other, it fundamentally doesn't work. And yeah, it's 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 kind of crushing, right? Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about motivations here. Because you mm. touched on it with this idea that Kendall has actually got good business sense and that when Lucas throws up that that panic call. At least he has the first, he has the right first read of the situation. But crucially does not inform the children of that. He's not his, like, his Matson siblings, just yeah, called yeah. me. Yeah, his siblings. He, Matson just called me and he doesn't say, I think that he's nervous and I think we could, we can exploit that nervousness by getting, now, it sounded like at the end of the episode he was like another $100 million, which is pretty funny in comparison to the Pierce negotiation because, they're just like, who cares? It's just another $500 million that we're throwing. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that they are over their skis and they are stretched thin now that they owe Pierce $10 billion. But let's, let's just kind of talk through what you think is going on with the children collectively, but also maybe individually in their immediately like kind of like derailing this, this deal. Well, I think that it's... Broadly, it's what you said, right? That they are fundamentally unserious and ungrounded people who have nothing beyond what's right in front of them. And the thought of agreeing and settling and being done with it is too absolutely existentially mortifying to to entertain. And so what can they do to throw in its path? And I think to achieve that, they each have their own ways of presenting it to the group and they have their own internal combustion engines that are explaining things. And and in moments like this, I think about the, the language and the way they speak to each other. You know, we, we've commented before, and others have as well, that Jesse Armstrong is British, and a lot of the writing staff is British. And one thing that you and I both know from, uh, from me from watching British shows and you from, you know, collecting viruses internationally, <laughs> is that British people <laughs> love to end sentences with questions. Like, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit sad, isn't it? You know, like, yeah. and these kids do that too. They're always like, yeah, yeah, at the end of each sentence, as if they're building this idea out of clay and sending little like bat sonar pings out yeah, to make sure we could do this saying, right. But that's yeah, stupid. Yeah, but we should do yeah, it right. We yeah. can't. Yeah, and they're trying to build this sort of fragile house of cards thing together, and the language sort of reflects their inner state, piece by piece. Right. So I, we should get into it. Like the Roman thing is the, the simplest, and it's mm-hmm. played out in the episode. He isn't an alpha. He actually just wants to be loved, and so. You know, and so is his is his verbiage the most extreme? Yes, but is his are his motivations the most clear? I think yes as well. Is he going to get it from his siblings enough? Is it enough? No. Okay, back to dad. Or, um, or does he agree with my assessment of what's going on and and his father's, where it's like these are not serious people, and for as unserious as as Roman is, do you think that he's like looking at this at the end of the day and is like, so we've gone through three different business plans in three days? Well, Yes, I think that this, but this is also the cracked kaleidoscope with which the show functions so well, if you look through it, which is, yes, that's true. But also, Kieran Culkin's face when his father says, I need you, mm-hmm. is yeah. everything. That's, all, that's and, the only thing that any of them need. Yeah. Yeah. And his brother, his brother and sister have never really said that, you know? And so that just, it just, the arrow finds the target. That's, that's what it's looking for. The Kendall and Chip, I mean, we could go piece by piece. The, the yeah. Shiv... Do, who do you want to go with next? Because I let's go I, shift. Because I, I, I actually needed to do I, I that that almost pushed me as even somebody who has podcasted about Succession upwards of two to three times a week for the last few years. I was like, what's she doing? Like, yes. does she get to run Waystar if this happens? Or I was trying to like basically go back through the various Sandy Furness because it was Sandy's father, and now it's Sandy played by Hope Davis and Stewie's involved, and what they're trying to do, what it would mean if Shiv got this extra board seat, but there's veto power over the children taking over, like it's a, it's a little bit murky to me. Yeah. I would say, I think it is murky. I would also say 
and I, I would love to be proved wrong about this, that if the, if the writers have a, have loosened their grip on anyone this season, it would be Siobhan. Like I, I feel a little adrift with her motivations as well. It, it seems to be, at least through these first two episodes, almost entirely an emotional unmooring that mm-hmm. the wedding in union with Tom provided her with at least some like wire mesh monkey in the famous experiment version of stability. Like at least there was something to tether her. Yeah. And that not only becoming loosened, uh, but also being corrupted by the Logan virus has affected her in a way. <laughs> I, have, that I is- haven't had that yet. Is that good? The oh, virus. <laughs> well, as you know, I've been traveling, so yeah. I haven't swabbed myself recently. Is that just a nice possible. way of putting piss madness? <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that's, oh, no, that's don't, actually... Don't worry about dad. He just has a little Logan madness. It's just like actually his, it's, his it's, synapses it, are floated with poison urine. It's how Kendall explains it to his children, who we probably won't see again for the remainder of the series. Shout out to them. Um, but, but anyway, but you know what I mean? Like, like that seems to have... But, but in terms of what specifically she wants, it's trickier to say, and maybe always was trickier because from the beginning, I think early on, at least in season one, you could correctly identify that Roman just wants his father to love him. I mean, that's what they all want, but that is specifically what he wants. Kendall wants his father to love him, but he also wants to kill his father in an edible way and take over the company and prove something to to everyone. Shiv's whole thing from the beginning was that she didn't need it, right? Her coming back into the fold and then maybe becoming a viable candidate and her ego being both teased and stoked and then, you know, brought into full flower was kind of the direction of season two. Yes. And I would say that the, the, uh, for as upset as she is about the divorce lawyers in this episode, which she Mm -hmm. has every right to be the most hurt I've ever seen her is in that episode of season three that we were referring to the, the retired janitors episode where Logan has a UTI. And when he comes to, Yep. It's just like stop fucking buzzing around me to Shiv. Yes. And just completely dismisses not only her as a person, but all the machinations that she put into place while he was infirm. And, you know, w- we can go through that whole karaoke scene sort of frame by frame if you want to. But y- yeah, I, I, I agree with you that it's getting a little bit cloudy. She, she also, and I think this is a testament to the way Sarah Snook is playing it. She just seems knocked off her square. Yeah, you know that yeah. she, you know, when she came back in, when she got the, the the Tom call about Naomi Pierce in the season premiere, and she came back into the room, and she's sort of holding her stomach, which is you know a place many many people feel anxiety and and distress. And her brothers are calling her on it, but they have nothing to say about it. I mean, that queasy feeling in her body has played through, right. including in that karaoke scene where she is dishing out. But it it's when I was referring before to being sort of uncomfortable by the scene, a lot of it came from her line readings, you know. It's savage and it's noisy and it's uncomfortable. So in terms of what she wants out of this, it's less clear. I think more than anything, what I'm feeling is just the the anguish and the frenzy, right? I mean, she's she's acting out in a way that I don't think we've seen. The Kendall thing is interesting because, you know, I'm sure that you know, you know, our, our the, the Times has their little election meter, which everyone loves, makes everyone feel good. Yeah, usually. Um, and it's also dead Ken- on, usually, yeah. The Kendall meter has, you know, it has swung wildly over the last three or four seasons. <laughs> yeah, as his, as his is, ner- nervous system has as well. <laughs> but he is relatively zen thus far this season, not just in sort of the, the way that he's speaking about things. You know, what is it? Your greatest adversary might be your greatest teacher. Like, but he he does seem to be comfortable in this place. Like this moment of absolute peril and but but also action that is to coin a phrase, I believe, his juice. Mm-hmm. And and this is maybe when he's at his best. So is his desire just to extend the drama, you know? Because I it otherwise it's sort of hard to to tell. Does he just want to punt, basically? Yeah. What does Kendall do? Right. Like, I don't mean what does Kendall do next. I mean, like, what does he do? Mm-hmm. Like, what does this guy want to be doing? Because it doesn't seem like he actually deep down wants to be in control of anything or in charge of anything. And he's taken on a couple of different guises, you know, this rebellious truth teller. <laughs> he's been uh, Logan's blood bag, essentially. You know, he's been all these different things over the course of the series. He's been fucked up. He's been sober. He's been a family man. He's been a playboy. He's been right wing. He's been left wing. Like he's kind of like mm-hmm. run the gamut. And 
there was something almost melancholy in the end of that karaoke scene where Roman's obviously reeling from like how that went and Shiv does the shot and is like, how was it for you, fucking dad? And, yeah. And Kendall's like, yeah, like there's almost something like very empty in what they're trying to do. Not because it's ultimately, you know, stupid that these people are just trading back and forth mainstream media properties, but that also like it's it's never as bad or as good as you think it's going to be. And Kendall's somebody who's gone through that, right? Like he's killed mm-hmm. someone and there's been no consequences. He's had that murder revealed to his family members and there's been no consequences. He's smoked meth in New Mexico. He's been sober. He's been everything and nothing really seems to matter. And so now the only thing that there is is that like five seconds of like, ooh, I got the phone call or Stewie came mm-hmm. to see me or my dad looked me in the eye or whatever it is. And so it's really just small victories for him. But you're right. I mean, I don't really... I don't really know what that guy wants, right? And here's the thing. You know, I, I think that sometimes you can look at because succession is so actively covered and discussed and passionately like enjoyed, right? There is an idea that only death will matter on succession ultimately, that it's either mm-hmm. like Logan eventually passing away or we were all jacked up about Kendall possibly dying in season three. But I think that's some of the bloodlust comes from what I'm talking about, where I don't know what matters on this show unless somebody dies. Because <laughs> like everything else winds well, up working out in the end. Well, I, I think it's, I, I, I would- And that's not a criticism. A, it's just an observation. No, no. What I think is interesting and particularly interesting to keep an eye on for these last weeks of the show is that episodes like this remind us that this writing staff has been to therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this writing staff has a pretty healthy <laughs> understanding of emotional dynamics and mismatches and the peril and fallacy of expectations and is content to present it to us and let us wallow in it too, which is to say, Logan came to the children in a less than ideal circumstance and said, sorry, Mm -hmm. that did happen. He did do that. And you could then deflect or judo use mind judo and be like, well, he was, it was a gambit. He didn't mean it, whatever. He came to them and said, sorry, what they do with that is telling mm-hmm. what they do with it is immediately brush it aside. They say it's not valid. It's not what they want. It's a mismatch. It doesn't fill the hole they carry around with them. And what this episode does, and maybe it's one of the reasons why I found it you know, relatively uncomfortable, is that it's like, guys, nothing ever will fill that hole. That yeah. time has passed. You're adults. Roman is 40. You know what I mean? Like, the, you, you can't get that back. Right. You can't get that back from your father. He's not going to give you what you feel owed. What you have to do is take it on face value. You're not changing your father. You're not changing your circumstance. You're not changing your past. What did he say to you? How do you feel about it? And then you choose to either move on or not move on. And that's really heavy shit for yeah. life. It's not dramatic for a television show. But I really admire and respect that the show understands that and presents it to us unadorned. So we could see, like, this may be, I mean, we haven't, we didn't, we're not watching ahead. We don't know. I assume the show will make good on its promise of a title at some point, what, you know, in the next few episodes. This might be the last time Logan comes to them with any kind of humility. Sure. This might be the last time he says, I love you, but, or, or just, I love you, forget the but. And this is what they did with it. I, I, do I blame them? I, no, but it's not going to, they're not going to be satisfied. As long yeah. as they carry this level of of anger and resentment and 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 need for something that's not forthcoming. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. The only one of them that's able to just go back to his own home and move on is Connor. This is, yeah, we have to talk about that. Which is hilarious because, you know, you can use Alan Ruck and that character as a punchline as much as you want, and I'll be there for it. It's the He's just the fucking funniest. And then you can use him. This is why this show is kind of operating at a different level, is that you can bring him in at the end, and not only does he follow up Logan's assessment of the siblings with his own, which is equally cutting. But then he's able to be like, I'm going home, you know? And when he goes home, Will is waiting for him. Mm-hmm. And when he goes home, like, as ridiculous as and narcissistic and privileged as his run for the presidency is for his, you know, cherished 1%, uh, it's his, you know? And he's actually stuck with it. Almost to a point of being like, I can't believe this guy is still running for president after two seasons or whatever. But, like, he has more of a sense of, like, commitment to something than than the kids do, the other kids do. Here's one of the secret special sauces that makes this show better than almost everything else that I think is overlooked. Everyone on the show is a target of ridicule, of satire. Everyone on the show can be funny and be absurd. But the show somehow doesn't really judge them. Yeah. You know, it it, it, it certainly doesn't judge their, um, their internal emotional engines for being the way they are. And that's never more true than with Connor, who, yeah, in many ways is a joke. And certainly it's a joke to the 99% of the country that isn't supporting his presidency or his candidacy for, for the presidency. But his revelations about how he thinks about himself and how he thinks about his siblings and the fact that all he wants, you know, is a quiet proletariat uh, wheat beer in a, in a bar filled with men but not with a blood garden. in their hair. Not a whole garden. <laughs> but to come home, and, it, and you know, I think it was very interesting. You said the thing about the episodes being uh, well matched, well paired. The first two. Um, the funniest thing about with, that is that, like, that bar is very normal. <laughs> like, the most normal bar. <laughs> they're just like, there's like sawdust and teeth on the floor. You're like, that's like the bar you go into on a on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, though there are those bars. But Fantasy I don't think said he thought it was uh, Corner Bistro, or he thought it might be. Hmm. I, 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 I did, but I didn't see them. I didn't see anyone ordering burgers, overrated no, burgers. They didn't see that. Um, did you say overrated you burgers? Know, Ooh. I just, I, spicy. You, you took a shot at New Mexico a minute ago. I let that slide. <laughs> My home away from home. You're like, he did meth in New Mexico. No, I just meant that it's, it does <laughs> seem abundant there. <laughs> it's true. In it's the true. larger sort of prestige television universe, that's where you go. One of its great cultural exports. It's true. Yeah. No, but, but, um, I thought it was interesting that the first and second episodes of the season ended with couples in bed, you know, lying down with each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, in terms of like the, the show's careful, emotional storytelling calculus is like people, people end up in bed with other people for a multiplicity of reasons. 
but it is it is an agreement to if you're both there. You know, no one's hopefully it certainly in these cases, no one is making anyone be there. And Willa went on a journey deep to the bottom of the East River, apparently. <laughs> Do you think that and the next episode is actually gonna be her an entire like all Willa and where she went? <laughs> like, I wish. But she, she but she came back. Now, you know, this is it it's an interesting relationship to to base the um again, the emotional core of the of the episode on, because this was purely transactional at the start. Mm-hmm. You know, I think so much of the show, you know, they, they said this in the karaoke, this isn't personal, this is purely business, and they couldn't be lying more if they tried. But Willow, there was a transactional relationship that has turned into something that benefits both of them to a degree, and it was weirdly sweet. Now, does that show how brain-broken we are by this show? Oh, no, I think that that's the... G- well, so... It's funny that you're talking about that because I was just reading a Kieran Culkin interview where he was like, Connor is secretly the most evil person on this show. He bought a person (laughs) and like kept her against her will in this situation. But it just goes to show you that you can watch this show be like, this is kind of obscene, but also heart. It's touching. And I kind of sometimes I got to admit, I felt the same thing about Carrie throughout this episode, who is kind of like Mm -hmm. this new narrative element in the show is like kind of putting her in the Marsha role, not the Marsha role, but as like somebody who is obviously the object of Logan's romantic attention, much like the Holly Hunter character in the second season. But to kind of have like a gag, that's like the Carrie thing is a gag to, to have her be like her audition tape and everybody is watching it and laughing at it. And it is quite funny to watch her just be like, you know, a massive car accident in Missouri, you know, and that was great. But they don't let everybody off the hook for just the cheap laugh. They make make sure that they all make fun of her to her face and we see it and we see her face after that, too. But, but what else do they do? She walks into that karaoke room and she's the voice of reason. Yeah. yeah. She has no place in that room, in quotes, but she's right you know, I, 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 she would, she's, she seems, she seems to be objectively calling balls and strikes in that scene, yes. for as absurd as that is to say, which is also uh, interesting that that everyone gets their moment of perspective, especially in this madhouse that everyone else finds themselves in. What did you think of? Uh, oh, wait, go ahead. before we move on, sorry, I just had one more thing since we we're we we're talking about Connor. I may have to say this every week for the rest of this podcast, uh, okay. or at least this succession focused period of the podcast, but. No, just Casting, keep doing it. Man. Keep doing it for the next ten years. <laughs> are we? Are you, did you sign a ten-year deal? Are you? Are you? A, are you a promising <laughs> yeah. shortstop? The CBA just went through, so yeah. <laughs> like, do you think people are saying about you what they said about Trey Turner, which is that just because of body type, he'll age well even in that, that position? <laughs> like, we shouldn't worry about the length because he's. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to say, fucking casting, man. Like. You know, I we we know from like when Casey Boys from HBO came and talked to us, and from conversations we've had with him, that he feels very fondly about the show. Of course, it's a huge Emmy winning hit for him. But one of the reasons I think that he and people who work on the show feel great about it is because it feels more organic, right? It's not the more contemporary way of building a show where it's packaged with big stars and then shopped around. Like this was an idea that they developed, and then they cast, and they cast it very carefully and specifically. And when the show was announced, I'm sure I don't remember. Reading, you know, seeing it in Deadline and having, I, I don't, I don't remember the moment, but I'm sure that I and many others saw it and was like, "Huh, Brian Cox headlining a show." I love Brian Cox, but like that's interesting. That's not eye catching in this era of True Detective, et cetera, et cetera. This show works because it is not only hit after hit after hit down the lineup, like the Phillies were supposed to be this year, but Relax, also, man, it's been two games. <laughs> just, I like to be current. I like, this is like a proof of life stamps. They know that we didn't record the six. Most of ago. the middle of our lineup is like massively injured. It's all right, man. All right. Look, I like this new Zen you can Buddha and Tom Ford over here. Um, but, but, but like, these are people who we now will only think of in these roles in a way, you know, yeah. and it's just, but it's like Alan Ruck, Always good. Since Ferris Bueller's day off, always good. He is transcendent in this part. And it's partly because he hasn't had the chance to do it. It's partly because the role built, he he and the role grew together, you know? And it's also because he's been doing it for four years. And yeah. he just knows it inside and out. And so the luxury of a show like this, you could look at an episode like this and you could think, oh, luxury in two senses. One, in the sense that the, the siblings move through like 12 fully 
separate locations, including a car meet on the streets of Manhattan, you know, or when Logan is just walking down Manhattan talking about the rats who are fat and we're like, oh, they shut down the East Village for a night just for this one scene. So you could look at the show as an exemplar of luxury for that. Or you could be like, oh, they're going to end an episode with the tertiary characters played by of Connor and Willa played by Alan Ruck and Justine. I don't know if it's Lupe or Lupe. I've never said her name out loud before. I apologize. Who are world-class actors just playing a silent scene together. To yeah. me, that's luxury. Like, look what you have in the bank where you can do that. It's just stunning. They're, they're all so good. I want to talk a little bit about the ATN part of this. Uh, uh-huh. Logan's halftime speech to the, to the players was Wait, when, when he's lurking like Jaws of everybody <laughs> in the town worked for Jaws. <laughs> and uh yeah i love that's another like kind of 10-year plan for this show is if the the two sides of this like had rival cable networks during an election year oh my god but you know obviously this is something where it's like you get to see logan actually be a craftsman rather than just this like art of the deal guy and he's actually Standing, what does he call the guy as Takanovite? Because he's like he's written one email. He's <laughs> like, don't tire yourself out. And uh, yeah, there was a moment where I was like, when they put together the little platform of of Xerox paper, yeah. where I was like, okay. this would be absolutely amazing if this is how Logan dies, <laughs> is he falls off this like fake. Falls off six inch pile of paper. Yeah, in the middle of the ATM. Well, I mean, at that age, it can get kind of dangerous. You know. It- it's also another example of like, yeah, this is, I mean, obviously a lot of the show is is riffing on the Murdochs, but like this is what happened when he sold uh, the studios, but kept the news organization and was like going to roll my sleeves up and be a newsman again because yeah. that's what's in his blood. And, you know, that's that's been really good for um, democracy. But I, I but 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 the micromanaging and like, I, is this a management style you aspire to or recognize the kind of like just hovering over people's backs and then like saying they order too much pizza? No, I think I'm more like Tom where I'm like, just to say that uh, (laughs) we are down 15% year on year, but that's okay. (laughs) The other thing, and this is, I promise I did not intend to make this primarily a, 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 this episode primarily viewed through a baseball lens, but you did share Chris an article in the group chat that I thought was great about Bryce Harper watching the greatest at bat of my life when he hit the home run in the biggest moment possible. And uh-huh. I was thinking about this when I was watching the first 10, 15 minutes of the episode before the knives really started going, where to be in a writer's room like this, where you just have scenarios like, okay, Logan is menacing the newsroom and Tom and Greg are going to be talking about it. Or yeah. Logan, Shiv, and Roman are watching a progressive news network go it does remind me of Bryce Harper, like sitting on a slider in, you know, with the uh, representing the winning run in a playoff yes. baseball game. It's like, sometimes you just want to hit balls off a tee in the biggest moment. And it's the, the, just the quality and the quantity of the jokes, but also that sense of having watched the show for so long where you were like, there were probably 18 alts. And oh my 16 God. of them were amazing. I bet, I bet them sitting around watching what is basically MSNBC had like 10, 15 minutes of footage. It's just incredible. This is yeah. inside baseball, but it's about politics. That's so confusing. <laughs> and, and, and also, let me just say again, for, pe- for the people, the cheap seats, like you and I don't have to do scene work or hang out at craft services with Jeremy Strong. So whatever he's doing is amazing. Yeah, I don't care if he's difficult. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's fucking great and he's making everyone else better. Like it really, really, really elevates because he's doing the things that he's doing. And by the way, it's not like he's sitting around being like, oh, you know, this isn't Caucasian chalk circle in the round. He's like, my lines here are describing things as dookie, you know, but he's fucking bringing that character and all the other shit he did in his trailer to it. It's great. It's truly great. How excited were you to see Aaron Moore yet again? How excited were you? I mean, this guy... Just him we being like, guy. like, uh, like doing like cab driver voice was just like as like his return to glory was amazing. I, I really like when the show gives us different glim- glimpses of different personalities adjusting to ultra elite wealth. Yes, you know wh- what's different about them, what's the same about them, what they choose to do, how they choose to enact it. Even just the casual reference of we've reserved a suite across the street. Like, yeah. how much did they drop just to hold a room that they're not going to set foot in? Is 
pretty great little details on the margins. It's also I, although f- I have to say, I, I know both of these guys are, we love them. I think they both are having the past listen to the podcast. I did see someone online being like, cast Jason Manzoukas as Stewie for one episode, <laughs> you cowards. <laughs> like, But he has to be Rafi from the league when he's doing it. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't help but... S- that was floating in my mind when I watched this, and I all respect to to both actors whom I adore. Okay, I, the only really other note I had here was just that the I, there may not be a funnier scene in American television history than <laughs> Tom and Greg trying to de- decide who's going to tell Carrie that she's terrible at doing television news. <laughs> but it's like, this is the same thing again, where it's just like you see... You, Sometimes you can feel when writers' rooms are writing themselves into a corner where they're like, ah, oh, shit. We put we put this these guns in Walter's trunk last season because it was cool, and now we're going to have to spend the next nine weeks figuring out what to do with them. Yeah. And then there's whatever the reverse so of that gonna is. So he's going to die and come back to life and then go back and save Jesse. <laughs> but, 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 but instead, there's like, oh, this is the reverse of that, where it's like, wait, we seem to have written ourselves into a situation where Tom and Greg will be in a room forcing each other to do something either wants to do. Yeah, and it's like what Israel-Palestine, but harder and more important. <laughs> what, a, what a joy, what a gift. You know, I feel like we have not fully riffed on them uh, just in a, in a bar or in a karaoke room. I know. <laughs> uh, it's really, really funny. What do you think would have happened? Uh, like, is there an alt of the scene where obviously Logan comes to see them do you think that there's there's footage of of Connor doing Desperado? I hope so. Uh, although the show has always been very specific in the songs that it has characters perform. You remember uh, Kendall performing last year? Yeah, he raps. Um, yeah, no, he raps in the first season, but doesn't he sing at his birthday party? I don't remember yeah, yeah. the song. So I, I I I imagine there might be some B roll, but I also think there was intention behind this. I thought you were going to say, is there footage of Brian Cox singing, uh, doing New York, New York, and then fucking off? <laughs> I mean, I, I did recently see a clip of Brian Cox and, and, and my old friend Alan Cumming doing carpool karaoke singing uh, Wannabe by Spice Girls together. So I oh, feel really? like Cox, Cox has it in him. Can you even off the top of your head think of like which succession characters would have done which karaoke songs? Off the top of my head? No. But give me a minute. I can get the charticle together for you. <laughs> I feel with The Ringer hasn't done this yet. Why are you I giving mean, these ideas away for free? I'm just, just an ideas guy. So... Okay, so let's, bigger picture, you know, the, the, the show exists on such an elite tier that you can say comments like the one I'm about to make, and I, I, I hope it can be understood with the intent that it's given, which is, this is not a criticism. This is just a, 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 an observation. Mm-hmm. I think the show does need to end. I don't want it to, but I think it does. And that, that we said that last week, continue to feel that way. Um, I always admire the way they break up the band and bring the band back together, but it's going to have diminishing returns uh, if, if they were to push it past this point. So we are headed, we are coming up to the wedding sooner than I thought. I think that this was the one spoiler that I learned about the season going into the season, I think, because our, our buddy David Jacoby saw them filming this wedding. Didn't he post this on Instagram? <laughs> oh, did he? But but that, that there's the Connor Willow wedding seems to be coming next week. I, people listening probably have seen a next week on Succession. You and I don't watch those. So that's coming sooner in the season than I thought. Succession loves a big party, loves a big event. What have these first two episodes suggested to you about what the end game looks like? Because the Pierce thing does feel like a misdirection. The board meeting has now been punted. What is the shape of it? I think they're they're lulling us into a false sense of either confidence or concern mm-hmm. rolling, depending on what you want to look at it, where it's just like, oh, is you guys just going to have like three meetings where you betray one another and then at the end... Someone gets chosen or doesn't like I, I I think that the decision to make this the final season, albeit it seems like kind of like in production already, or at least in the writing of it, that decision isn't one that's just like I'm out of jokes. Like that's because he wants yeah. to say something. So I, I, I feel like these first two episodes and I and I if I bet if we went back and listened to every podcast about a second episode of succession of a season we would find similar notes of like so is this what you guys are doing that's cool i like that that's nice and then something happens and like our all of our eyelashes fall off you know i I think that you're right i think this this goes back to this idea of the show is psychologically sound and has correctly presented and diagnosed these people um their traumas their deficiencies how they operate their behavior and continued to point out just the awful karmic feedback loop that they exist in where 
what you do to be alive or to prove you're alive or to feel alive is you poke the bear and then right. the bear and the bear growls and the, or the bear comes to a karaoke bar and apologizes and you chase the bear away until you poke it again. The card that's left to play is what if someone doesn't growl? Right. What if someone doesn't poke back? And that doesn't necessarily mean Logan, but you know, they going back to that idea of like the sonar pings between them, like they need each other to respond. Like even Connor goes along with it. You know, like, I mean, if you if you could just see like the list of the things that Roman says to Connor within the first six minutes of them getting together after Willa has potentially left him to go bathe permanently in the East River, like they are so outrageous. <laughs> They're so outrageous. But he does the same thing that Kendall does when he's sitting in the Italian dust at the end of season three, which he's like, OK, all right, not now. You know, mm-hmm. he, he, he gives he provides the feedback. So what happens if at one point one of them doesn't? Does that, I don't, I'm not suggesting it's because they're taken off the board, but what if someone, does, and I mean that in both senses, taken <laughs> off the board. So that is a card left for the show to play, and I'm eager to see them play it. Yeah, I'm in no hurry. And I also feel like th- there's just, like, there's just, it's, something is going to happen. I have not watched ahead. I don't really watch the, the I haven't really read that much of the sort of season yeah. previews that people did when they were writing off of, I think, the first four episodes. Uh, just because I just kind of want to see it week to week like this. I think that's sort of the intention anyway. But yeah, it's hard for me to imagine we're going to do like six more episodes of people being on uh, like like speakerphone calls trying to negotiate a price. Like that's not what this is ultimately going to be about. I also wondered, and this isn't something I necessarily want to see more of unless they have something to say about it, but I thought there might be more political kingmaking. I think that the, the 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 timing is intentional. That there is an election, and you know we're we're pivoting more towards ATN. We know Justin Kirk is in still in play in the mm-hmm. world of the show, mm-hmm. and Roman has been. We sort of we didn't specifically call this out in there. Justin in Kirk the, and Hope Davis currently pulling HBO double duty on on Succession and Perry Mason. Yeah, they are they're in the club. Remember the yeah. first thing I ever wrote for Grandland was the was the HBO recycling program. Like once you're in with that casting department, you are in, and they're certainly deserving of it. But th- we didn't specifically call out that like it's not just that that Logan says I need you to roam, and he's basically like I need you to turn this staid uh, Republican channel into Achon, right? Right. Like like that's that that's what you're going to be good at. And what's you, that going <laughs> to do to Tom? You know? Yeah. So the political part, I don't, I don't know what role it has to play, but I feel like it has a role to play. Greenwald, it was great to see you. We can wrap it up there. I think we, we've covered, covered this episode to... Should we, should we do this again next week? Do you think we should keep this up? I guess so. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, we are. We'll be back next uh, Sunday, obviously. We have a show on Thursday, though. So don't get used to us not being in your ears. We'll be back on might, Thursday. It might be Friday. I should, I should tell you and Kaya that. Oh, Yeah. I think it, I think that might be Friday this week. <laughs> Everybody cool with that? For any particular reason? Uh, I have I have a travel day. I don't know if you've seen my schedule. Oh, I thought maybe it was because there was like something airing Thursday night that you really wanted to like just sit with Mandalorian oh, for full twenty four yes. thirty six hours or something. I love like that. watching television and talking about it on this podcast. So it's it's purely TV based. Yeah. Okay. Andy, great to see you. Thank you so much to Kai McMullen for recording us on Sunday. Uh, we really appreciate it, and we will talk to you guys on Thursday. I'll turn in my manager's card, and then you can go over <laughs> the lineup. Okay. 